Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Get Out of Rap. Coming back on for the second time today uh, is our industry, my friend, industry friend, Stephen Yap, the research director at the CCMA. And we're going to be talking, or Stephen's going to be talking about um, Odigo commissioned um, some research and with the CCMA, it's come out, it's the voice of the contact centre consumer research. It looks to be fascinating. I was saying to Stephen just beforehand, um, I purposefully have withheld reading it prior to recording this so we can uh, find out all about it straight from the horse's mouth. So Stephen, thank you very much for coming back on. Thanks for having me, Martin. How are you? I, I'm good, thanks. We were just talking about the, the recent awards and it's yeah. how good it is to see the industry again. But you touched on something that, um, you know, the industry where everyone's working hard. Um, and, I, and I'm wondering just whether that kind of stuff came out um, from the, the research. But let's go back. So Odigo and the, and the CCMA wanted to do this key bit of research. Was, what were the sort of parameters you were, you were given? What was the, the mission? So this is actually the fourth time that we've done this bit of work with Odigo. So we've been doing it now for a few different ways, which is brilliant because it allows us to, to see how things are changing over time. So mm. each time we do it, we keep some of the questions and we track um, how things are evolving using those consistent questions. And then we include some new content each time we do it. So we've got a few waves under our belt now, and this is hopefully going to continue to be an ongoing series that we do at the CCMA with Odigo. Um, and we call it the voice of the contact center consumer. So it's a, an, an annual survey. Uh, it's a quant survey. So we talked to 2000 people up and down the UK. It's a representative survey. Mm. That means that um, we, we set up the sample so that we've got the right proportions of people in, in different age groups, um, men and women in different regions of the country. So it looks a lot, the sample looks a lot like the UK. So when we report it, we can feel very comfortable that it's a good cross section um, and it's a good, it's a good sample. It's a good representation uh, of the UK adult population. So that's how we do it. And then what we do is, it's actually two parts. So the first part is we execute that survey, we design the questions, we implement the survey, and then we uh, we take some of the results and we bring them into conversations with people in the industry. So um, we conducted a number of discussions with uh, leaders of different uh, contact centres, different industries to get their, if you like, their reactions mm. to. To, to the results. And then we put that all together in the report, um, which we launched uh, in May, uh, just last month. Um, and it's always really well received. And it's become a little bit of a, if you like, a currency, I think, I'd like to think it's become something that gives the industry some understanding of where the consumer mindset is and how things are changing when it comes to topics that matter to us, like channel channel behaviors like overall perceptions around the state of customer contact and customer service those are the things that that, that, that we keep uh, each, each wave some of the stuff that was new for this year included um what what the average um sort of person on the street you know, the the public thinks about careers in customer service that's a new piece for this year um and um it's always you know it's always good to see how things are changing particularly uh, during times like this when things are changing a lot. I mean, obviously, we've been through the last couple of years, a huge amount of change, but um, the pace of change isn't slowing down, that's for sure. Wow. It, I think something you said there just really struck me around this is currency. In, in as much as we're all here, our whole industry is here to provide services and products to consumers. And try and understanding where they are at where we're all at because we're all consumers right uh, understanding where consumers are at across the country and how what we are trying to do is being received there's probably nothing more important than that yeah and I, I i think so i mean i'm a researcher and i get paid to do this so maybe i'm not completely unbiased but uh, we talked like we talked about a little bit about this last year when i was on when I was on the show, I came into my role at the CCMA with a, a bit of a mission um, and with an ambition, if you like, to, to help provide some good insight, mm. some good some good content that is is hopefully genuinely useful and genuinely relevant. And um, I said at the time, and I don't mind repeating, I think I think the challenge we've got is 
we don't actually have that much really good genuine uh, and relevant insight in the industry. And um, people ask me this question a lot. Um, what do consumers want? Um, and in a way, that is actually the simplest question to answer. I don't need to commission uh, a, a survey <laughs> of 2,000 people to tell you what consumers want. When it comes to contact, customer contact, people want their questions and their queries resolved quickly and painlessly. That's it. Mm. There's nothing mm. more to it than that. There is absolutely nothing more to it than that. Of course, actually delivering that is not easy and delivering that is getting harder and expectations are changing. Um, things like channels are changing, but when it comes down to it, that will look, never change. It's ultimately about solving someone's problems, solving your customer's problems quickly and painlessly. Now, if you accept that that, that never changes, there mm. is space underneath that to understand and to actually research the things that are changing. And um, if you like, things like the channel preference, um, channel behaviors, um, a topic which we've explored now for a couple of, diff of waves with Odigo is the uh, perceptions around the state of customer service. We're not the only organization that does this, of course. Um, and there's other benchmarks, but we wanted to make sure that we had our own benchmark to see if you like, if are we moving in the right direction when it comes to overall perceptions around customer service? Because there's so much talk about, there's so much talk about wait times. There's so much talk about, uh, you know, and every week there's something in newspapers. It's not just mm. a contact center industry conversation. Yeah. It's, a, it's a wider social conversation. Is customer service going in the right direction? So we wanted to make sure that we had our own currency, if you like, in, in, in that area. Um, so on the one hand, I think... Uh, it's incredibly simple and we don't need research to answer the question but on the other hand there are ways in which research can help i think which is to 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 um to tell us are we going in the right direction what are some of the ways in which we could go in the right direction how do we make sure that we are delivering what the customer expects if you like in terms of in terms of things like channels in this year we have something new in terms of times of the day when people would prefer to, um, to, to, to make contact with organizations. And with recruitment, of course, being such a hot topic, it's always a hot topic, but never hotter than in the last year or so, given the, the difficulty of recruitment and the job market that we've got right now. What does the general public think about working in customer service? That's another topic that has always interested me because it's always struck me that customer service has a reputation and if you like, you know, has a popular reputation which doesn't always reflect the realities of what it's like. And, you know, mm. it, it tends to, it, you know, people tend to think of it as a very low skilled occupation and perhaps something that you do before you get a proper job. Um, <laughs> whereas we all know, we all know that working in, in contact centers can, can be extremely rewarding. Um, and it can be, a, 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 it can be actually open, set you up for, a, a, you know, a many different types of careers. It's an incredibly rich learning ground. It trains you so well. So I wanted to understand this year in this survey, what does the general public think about careers and customer service and what, what are some of the more positive perceptions and what are some of the areas that perhaps we as an industry need to be aware of when positioning, when positioning careers to, you know, and, and advertising for, for recruitment, um, you know, uh, what are the, some of the things that we need to work on in terms of shifting those perceptions? That sounds absolutely fascinating. I can't, I can't wait to to get into that when you uh, at the outset you said um 2000 people and you select them so that they reflect the makeup of the uk right both in gender location and demographics yeah. so with certainty you can say this this research gives us statistical confidence to say it's reflective of the uk that's brilliant yeah absolutely it's just basic Good survey design make sure you've got a decent representative representative sample and as most consumer research is done today in the uk it was done online so um almost all of the research not political polling that's still done door to door but almost all consumer research now is done through online panels in other words these are pre-recruited people who signed up to take part in surveys and they get incentivized like frequent fly points um and 20 years ago when these were new people were asking well is that a good way to do surveys and um cut very long story short that's how most surveys are done these days and that's um so when you look at the results and like you say this is 
the ones that you've put in there for the previous four or four now, um, what are some of the key changes that you've seen in terms of the trends? So let's start with the first topic, if you like, the biggest topic, which is um, the state of customer service. There is no bigger, yeah. broader topic than that. And obviously, you know, this being a podcast, I'll try not to go too much into the actual numbers, but I'll just try to tell the story, if you like. Um, and of course, the, the you know, all the detail, all the numbers, mm -hmm. um, all the data is available. Um, it's a free download, ccma.org.uk. There's a, there's a report which I wrote, uh, which has all the details in there. Um, if you look at the state of customer service, it's a very simple question. Compared to 12 months ago, do you think customer service is, is about the same as it, as it was 12 months ago? Do you think customer service today is getting worse or do you think it's getting better? What do you think, Martin? Do you know what? When you were saying that, I was thinking, right, if Stephen asked me, what, what's my answer? I would say it's got better mm. based on my personal experience. Yeah, um, and why? Uh, I can remember the previous year, uh, we've, we just moved into this house. And so you're contacting utilities, um, energy providers, local authorities. Um, and I've had to do some of that again this year. And I've noticed, uh, uh, I've noticed a difference. And one of the things being, it stands out now when companies are still using the, are still using the pandemic as a, I'm really sorry, yeah. uh, bear with us. You know, you're kind of like, come on, really now still? Um, Unbelievable, so, really, that people still have that on their, <laughs> on, on their, you know, recorded messages. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like, get with the program. Um, and I've been, I would say, overall, generally, I, I think it's it's shifted in a more positive direction. Don't get me wrong. There's been a couple of occasions where I've been frustrated. Yeah. However, um, I would personally, I'd say, I think it's got slightly better. Right, right. Um, so what we saw in the survey, and I, I, I've had this conversation now a few times when I presented this results, and I always do this. I've just done it with you. Martin and I always do it in the room, if you like, whether it's an actual room or a virtual yeah. room. And what we, what I always find um, when you've got a group of people and what we found when we had a group of 2000 people and what you would find if you literally ask everybody in the country is that actually you get three groups of people of about equal size, about <laughs> equal size. So the world can be divided into three groups of people, all of which are about the same size in terms of the size of the groups. So you'll have a third, approximately a third of people who think oh, it's about the same as it was. You'll have a third of people who think it's got better, of which you are one, Martin. And then you have a third of people who say it's got worse. So it's not a consistent answer. So what you need to do then is, it's okay, well, well that's, that's really, you know, that's, that doesn't tell me very much. You then actually need to look at a little bit, at another level down. And when you start looking at age groups, this is, you know, it's, it's quite telling. Um, it's a very blunt instrument, by the way, to be able to cut data by age group mm. because mm. not every person at the same age is the same. Not every 21-year-old is the same as every, every other 21-year-old and not every 60-year-old is the same as any other 60-year-old. But it's a way to, it is a way to, to, um, to, to see things that you wouldn't see when you're looking at a population at the, you know, mm. at the overall level. And what you do see when you, when, if you, if you were to just cut the population of the UK into people aged 18 to 34, which I will absolutely accept, that's a really big group, right? People aged 18 are really different to those aged 34. But if you just do it that way, yeah, you have your second group, which is 35 to 40, uh, 35 to 54. And then you have your third group, which is 55 plus. You can cut it much finer than that, by the way, but just for, for simplicity, We'll cut it into in, you know into three. So we'll say sort of mature, middle, uh, younger. Let's call it that. Yeah. You see a massive difference just in those sort of really blunt groups. You see a massive difference between the mature group and the younger group. Massive, massive, massive difference in in how people see the state of customer service. So um, if you look at the if if you look at that question, if you look at the proportions of people who um, who say customer service is getting better. In the 55 plus group, only 19% are 
only 19% say that customer service is getting better. More really? than twice, more than twice the number of people within the 18 to 34 group would say the same. So in the 50, in the mature group, 50, age 55 plus, 19% of people say it's getting better. Within your younger group, 18 to 34s, it's 40%. Wow. So it's more than twice. But you flip that around. If you look at the proportion of people who say it's getting worse, in the younger group, it's 20%. And in the more mature group, it's 43%. So they're almost mirror images. <laughs> they're almost mirror images of each other. So in the mature group, more than twice the number of people think it's getting worse than it's getting better. In the younger group, more than twice the proportion of people will say customer service is getting better than say customer service is getting worse. And if you were to go fine, if you look at 65 plus, if you look at 18 to 24, you'd see that even more exaggerated. There's a huge difference. Now, we're making generalizations here. As I said, not every 60-year-old is yeah. the same as other 60-year-old. But I think there's, there are some important things to take out of this finding. So, uh, and I say this as someone who's much closer, by the way, to 55 than I am to 35. <laughs> much, much closer. Same. <laughs> um, now, I think... I think when we talked, when we presented this to, to contact center leaders, we asked for their take. Some of the things that we heard were, you know, this is consistent with what I've seen. We see typically um, our younger customers are quicker to pick up self-serve. They're quicker to take, pick up our digital uh, channels. Um, and our more mature customers will tend to want to speak to somebody, will tend to sit on the phones. And of course, as wait times on the phone have, have inevitably gone up and stayed up, since the pandemic, that's one reason why, because if you are somebody who tends to gravitate towards the phone as your primary customer contact channel, then you're more likely to have experienced poorer service because there is a lot of evidence that wait times have gone up in the last year and last mm -hmm. two years and have stayed high and they're not going down anytime soon because, because demand has just gone through the roof. And there is, I don't think anybody can dispute that it is, generally speaking, um, a fact that more mature people tend to be later adopters of new technologies. That is, that is a real thing. That yeah. when it comes to when it comes to digital technologies, when it comes to um, using emerging channels, that your younger customers will tend to be quicker to adopt those channels, generally speaking, than your more mature customers because they tend to be more comfortable with new technologies. They tend to, they've, they've grown up with their smartphones. Um, they're very comfortable doing that. And um, your customers age 55 plus take a little longer to pick up those technologies. So th those, those are all true. So you could say, well, okay, well, that's just the way it is, isn't it? And um, it's, you know, this is the, this is just showing that more mature folk um, just haven't, taken up these new channels yet and they'll follow won't they you know over time that will change i i think i think if you if, if you stop there yeah stop there you're you're not seeing the whole picture i think if you stop there and just concluding that this is just a generational gap that's actually a little bit of a complacent way of looking at things mm. if you think about what's happened in our industry um, if you think about what's happened with customer contact and the proliferation of, of channels, and there's been huge proliferation of channels, it's been one good thing to come out of the pandemic is we worked really hard and fast, didn't we? Yeah. We worked fast. Yeah. yeah. You know, we did it because we had to. We did it because all of a sudden we couldn't we couldn't service all the demand through our existing channels, so we had to very quickly roll out new channels to cope. Yeah. Uh, and in some cases, attempt to deflect. And that happened really, really quickly. And overall, that's a good thing because that, that drove a lot of innovation. It drove a lot of agility, but it happened quickly. We didn't take the time necessarily to build those, those, those experiences in a, in a fully inclusive way. So again, huge generalizations. Your average 21-year-old is probably going to be reasonably comfortable with, a, if you like, um, an imperfect digital experience, right? Yes. They're accustomed. They're accustomed to that, right? Somebody who is, say, 65 year, years old, if they are faced with a digital experience they don't understand or which is clunky, they're much more likely to reject that and go back to the phones. Mm -hmm. And the reality is a lot of 
the experiences that we've quickly rolled out in the last two to three years are imperfect. They're not necessarily honed. They haven't been developed, if you like, with the needs, inclusive, inclusively with needs of more mature people in mind. Mo let's face it, most, most developers are not age 65. No. Most developers are in their 20s and 30s and are tech savvy themselves and naturally will develop for other 20 something, 30 something tech savvy people. That's just the reality of it. And I think for me, there's, there's a bigger piece about digital inclusion. I think, I think that in, in the huge push, which is a good thing to, um, to be more digital, we are at risk of leaving people behind. So it's it's a new digital type of digital divide, you know, and the old digital divide still exists and will always, you know, to a certain extent exist. It's, it's in terms of availability, in terms mm. of people who can afford to have fast broadband or live in places that have fast broadband versus people who can't afford it or happen to live in places where fast broadband is not available. All this talk about working from home, for example, has actually exposed the fact that there are millions of people in the UK who, who don't have access to the core infrastructure needed to work from home. So they don't actually have that option available to them. So that's kind of the first type of digital divide. The other type of digital divide I think we're seeing in this research helps to, if you like, to, to, to expose is the fact that for a lot of old, particularly more mature people, they're not getting those experiences. They're not getting the right experiences through all these new channels. I think that the, the, the much more widespread dissatisfaction with the way that customer service is heading is a reflection of the fact that we've worked really quickly to develop these new experiences. And in the meantime, the old experiences, the phone experiences, the phone channels are, are, are getting worse, aren't they? Mm -hmm. So it really depends on your point of view and your context. If you're 65, you're probably much more likely to be reliant on voice. You're probably, you, you might have tried self-service. There's evidence in the research that actually people of all ages are really willing to. It's not like older folks are not willing to try but they've probably found the experience poor and they've gone back to the phones. Um, whereas if you're a so-called digital native, if you've grown up with digital experiences, you'll probably just stick with the digital experience and you'll only pick up the phone if all other channels have been exhausted. So it's really, really different. It's different. You know, my kids would give you a different answer to, mm. to me. I'm sure your kids would give you a different answer you know, to, th that you would. And you and I, Martin, are probably, you know, because we work in this industry, probably a little bit more, shall we say, a little bit more educated, a little bit more digitally savvy than most. Yeah. Um, and even, I think, you know, even we would, would, would have a different context to our kids. So I guess my, my point, the point I'm trying to make is, I think, I think in, 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 with all the good work that we've done uh, to bring out these new capabilities to, to, to deflect demand, we need to be really careful we're not leaving people behind. There's more than 16 million people aged 55 plus in the mm. UK. That's an awful lot mm. of people. Yeah, That's an awful lot of people. We also know that um, society tends to focus on the young, tends to favor the young, tends to develop for the young and everybody's, everybody's talk, you know, everybody used to be millennials. Now it's the so-called um, generation Z. Everybody focuses on the young. Let's not forget about the 16 million people plus, you know, who mm. are 55 plus, the majority of whom, or should I say, um, um, within that cohort, within that 16 million, people are much more likely to say that things are getting worse than they're getting better. And if you look at the results year on year, if you look at our survey results from 2022 versus 2021, the proportion of people who's age 55 plus who say things are getting worse is growing. Is it? So that's, so that's another way to cut the data. Look at mm. the proportion of people year on year who say it's getting worse. Last year, last year, um, it was uh, 34%. Last year, the proportion of those aged 30, 55 plus who say it's getting worse is it's about one in three said it's getting worse. This year, it's gone up to 43. It's gone up wow. from 34% to 43%. The proportion of people aged 55 plus who say their customer service is getting worse. So. I think this is a bit of a wake-up call. I think it's a, it's, mm. it's it's a strong message that we need to think about being more inclusive. We need to continue to invest in our uh, digital experiences, but we need now that we we you know we we if you like we, we we're back to I don't know if we are 
actually back to any kind of normal. I don't even know what normal is, Martin. But <laughs> yeah. now that, you know, if we have to, now the time to go back and revisit those experiences and hone those experiences, we need to make sure that they're inclusive because we're leaving a lot of people behind. There's so much there that I love. Some some great terminology as well, just digital native. I, was like, I, I absolutely love that. And I think the last point, the last word you said pretty much there before I butted in was um, inclusion. And this we have to take as a message to say that tranche of the population that's 55 plus, we have to include in this journey when we're, we're, we're progressing all the time, as you say, we're looking at different channels, we're looking at different ways of digitalizing the same, the existing channels and what can we do and innovate, 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 innovate. And, um, in a, you know, when you were talking, in a very small way, um, I've developed a, a football community here. So I came to a new town, wanted to play football through word of mouth, started with five, and now we've got 38 um, members in the, in the group. We meet every Sunday and um, it's basically first come, first served, up to a certain number. And then we, we, we take payment and stuff like that. And I thought, I'm not going to manage doing this just through a WhatsApp group and cash. So I, I found an app and it's an app specifically for grassroots sport. And great news, everybody. Download this app, upload your card. You mark your availability on it. I put the fixtures on it and people pay through it. Now, the vast majority, no problem. The people that have had problems fit your research in that. And we've got a wide spectrum of ages, um, like a bell curve. You know, the one, the guys that have registered three or four times, been contacting me nonstop, can't pay, um, want to know why there's no phone number to phone the people that develop the app, say that the chatbot doesn't work when they've offered help, you know, it's, it is all in that, um, in that group. And, and actually, having spoken to them, when I come to see them for the football, it's massively impacted their the wider experience of even just being part of the team. They hate the app with a passion. They, they've got used to it now because I've sort of walked them through it face to face, you know, in the pub. But up until that point, they absolutely—they were like, "Oh, I, I thought, like, I thought, just thought about not even bother playing football." <laughs> and I was like, "That's a bit extreme, isn't it?" Just because of the app. But then, when you think about it, it must be really, really frustrating if you can't get it. And I think something you were talking about—that digital native—the younger, everyone else that didn't have problems, probably if they had a glitch, they're used to. Oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to reinstall. I'm going to delete it. Reinstall the app. I'm going to update the app. I'm going to do this. They know some fixes themselves, and they know right chatbot or whatever. It's fine, no problem, and they're far more comfortable. It's just part of the of the process, you know. So it's fascinating stuff. Sorry, that was a bit of a, a tangent, but it was a brilliant, really... brilliant illustration of exactly yeah. what 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 we're talking about, isn't it? Yeah. Where um, if you if you if if you expect people to use the app, if you expect people to use the technologies and they struggle to do so, that you exclude them because mm. they have to. Yeah. Don't they? they have to use the yeah. app. And there is an analogy with 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 customer contact where, in some cases, and I and, and I think I think most organisations have pulled back from this, but certainly I heard you know uh, plenty of stories that people were because they had to because they it was such. Uh, it was so difficult to, to maintain the level of assisted, um, uh, you know, resource mm. that mm. They, people were actively deflecting away from voice channels and away from assisted channels to apps and to, to self-service channels. And the good news is, I think people are now reopening and making capacity yeah. available again for the assisted channels, recognizing that the deflection wasn't great for customers, but the impact, particularly on more mature customers is really really significant now i think for me there is uh, we have to we, we, we can acknowledge and we can fully we can fully accept that um more you know generally speaking more mature customers um will be later adopters we can also 
while accepting that, um, acknowledge that we need to work harder in making the likes of our app and the likes of other digital experiences easier for our yeah. customers to use rather than just developing something quickly and throwing it out there and then hoping that people will use it, um, which then ends up ten tending to be majority to the younger customers because they're used to those sort of half-baked types of things. Um, yeah. Is is bringing in our customers into that development process. So, you know, good, good, good UX practice. Make sure that you've developed your user experience with those customers in mind. Make sure that you've done user testing actually with those target customers um, and make sure that you're collecting input and feedback and implementing that input and feedback from those customers. And I can think of a, a couple of examples of, of organizations that have done that. And actually their, their apps were, you know, are really, really well received and highly used amongst people aged 55 plus and, and even older. So there is evidence that there's evidence from our research that there is willingness. So it's not like people don't want to use it. It's they've yeah. tried it and they find it hard. Mm. And, um, and, and the alternative, which is voice, you know, is, is not as good as it used to be. Um, but there's also evidence that if you build it properly, they come and you can overcome, you can overcome that challenge. I think it's incumbent on, on all of us and all of us to, to keep that in mind and to, to build our experiences inclusively and recognize that we have to make the effort to do that because um, most experiences today don't naturally come out of the box fully inclusive. There's a second point from the research, Martin, that I wanted to, 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 to draw upon, sort of go mm. back to your question, what, what have we seen that's changed? So one of the questions we've had since the very beginning of the Voice of the Contact Center research is, Voice of the Contact Center Consumer research is, um, for each of these types of queries, would you be willing to self-serve, serve yourself, or would you be happy to, uh, sorry, would you, would, you, uh, would you like to be assisted or would you be happy to self-serve? Okay. So we've got a number, of, a number of different types of queries here, um, ranging all the way from um, you know, checking a status of a delivery um, to lodging a complaint or inquiring about a refund. You got, if you imagine a bar chart yeah. um, in the report, you've got a bar chart with all these different, each bar represents like different types of queries. And that bar chart is split in two. So you've got certain queries where you've got a much higher level of willingness to self-serve. And you've got other queries where there's a much higher desire to be assisted mm -hmm. so let, let me you know let me sort of throw the question back to you martin what, okay. what, in what circumstances in what circumstances would you would you want to talk to somebody what types of queries would you want to talk to somebody um great question i think if well a topical one if it was about a holiday query and you know you saw on the news that the airports were full and flights were being cancelled i wonder if seeing going on a website and seeing a, a notification a message that says don't worry everything's fine just go there an hour before you would do normally would suffice to calm me and the family down if i went oh, i've been on the website and they say it's fine I imagine I'd get a request to, can you double check? Yeah. So something like that, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's, um, this is something that I'm hearing a lot of now is this, when, when there's a lot at stake, when it's your holiday yeah. at stake, yeah. right? When, when the risk of getting it wrong is literally, you don't get to go on holiday. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of motion involved, then that's when you want to, when, when you want the reassurance of somebody telling you it's all good, it's confirmed, you're fine. And actually, yeah. um, as we are in this crisis that we are now in the cost of living crisis, um, that need for reassurance is going up massively. Mm, that need okay. to know, okay, your money's got your money's going through, or you've you know the mm. transaction is fine, or yes, you've you've changed the parameters on your ISA. That need to talk to somebody just to get that reassurance is really going up, even though for many of these transactions, you can self-serve. Mm. What I'm yeah. hearing is that even when people have self-served that transaction, they still pick up the phone. Did it go through? Because they yeah. need that reassurance of somebody telling them mm. that, um, uh, yes, it did. Yes, it did. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we've been asking this question now for... Um, 
for a number of ways. As I said, we, 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 we've been doing this at CCMA with Odigo now for some time, so we can see how things are changing over time. And the first couple of waves for all of the different types of transactions, the willingness to self-serve across all transaction types was going up. It was going up. So at that time, we were saying it's becoming normalized. And that yeah. was a function of what happened during those pandemic years when self-serve did become normalized because um, it was it was much harder um, to get to get assistance. Wait times went up and they're still high uh, because also because many providers rolled out new self-serve capabilities, even organizations you couldn't self-serve before. You can now self-serve thanks to all yeah. the innovation and the investment that's happened in the last couple of years. And it's also because certain things I, th I think have helped to really help to normalize. So for me, delivery is kind of the classic use case. You know, five years ago, you might have had one or two delivery companies that would give you an update. And even then it was, you know, you'd be doing well to get a delivery on the right day, let alone what, what's normal now, which is the hour slot, isn't it? I've got yeah. something coming. I've yeah. got something coming, you know, at about 12.30 today. And I'm very comfortable now doing this podcast with you because I know yeah. that we'll finish before 12.30. But back in the days, used to stay, you know, used to worry because you'd like, well, do I need to stay at home the whole day to wait for my delivery? Things have got better, haven't they? Delivery yeah, updates better. have got so good yeah. that we just take it for granted now. We take it yeah. for granted. We and, and, you know, we're quite happy. Self why would you, why would you, there's not much at stake. There's not much emotion involved. No. Why would you wait on the phone to get a delivery update if you have the option to get it online or on an app? You wouldn't, would you? Uh, uh, and in some cases, you can see, uh, a graphic of where the truck is you know yes. by the street yes so. <laughs> yes and thanks to uber by the way uber pioneered that model of you know of, of um showing you where, where the vehicle where, where the vehicle is we all got used to that through uber and that made its way into the delivery domain mm. so de the delivery use case has become such a for me such a, like the epitome if you like mm. the archetype of self-serve the other yeah. one which um, I think is the archetype of app. So what, we, what we're seeing is that for most queries, app usage is still quite nascent. But the one use case where app is becoming really normal is your bank account balance. Mm. Yeah, very true. Now you can still get your, you, you know, you can still get your bank account balance through IVR. Um, and if you want to, you could wait for a, a human advisor to tell you your bank account balance. But for most of us, we now get it through an app. Yeah. And for me, that is, if you like, that's like the, you know, the uh, the use case that's going to start to normalize app-based customer contact, because we now have apps and we're quite comfortable using bank apps for bank account balances. We'll be using our apps for other things. And now I've got a couple of online banks. Yeah. Uh, and I now I can't remember the last time I I, I phoned a bank because I do it I do it all now through through the app. And I think you'll start to see a lot more of that now. Um, of course, when it comes to other things, um, such as when you want to complain or such as when you're querying a bill, that's when you see a, there's, there's a lot, actually a lot lower willingness to sell. So that's, those are the sorts of queries when people want to talk to somebody because there's more at stake. Mm. And particularly right now, because of this economic situation that we're all in, uh, actually, you know, there's more at stake even than ever before. If, if, if getting your money back on a refund you actually need that money more than you ever needed before. Yeah. Um, if if you're defaulting on a bill, you know that you know that, and, and you need to talk through, and you, know, you need to talk that through with your uh, with your provider. You know, there's there's more urgency around this because of this cost of living crisis. Um, so those things have always been less well suited to self serve, but during the pandemic, even those things, we saw people more willing more willing to self-serve. Now, for the first time in 2022, we've actually seen a decrease in willingness to self-serve for certain really? kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. We've seen the first decrease that, you know, that we've seen for, uh, since we started doing this, this research. So when it comes to delivery, that's go, that continues to go up, that continues to go up. So, um, last year, the proportion of people who were happy to self-serve a delivery was 46 and it's gone up this year to 51. So now, pretty much half of all of us of all age groups um, are are willing to self-serve a delivery query. So that, that for me feels quite, you know, it's quite mainstream, it's quite normalized. Yes. When it comes to a refund, 
last year, 34% of people were willing to self-serve a refund query, and that's gone down to 30%. That's wow. actually gone down to 30%. When it comes to complaint, last year, 34% were willing to self-serve a complaint, and that's gone down to 28%. So if you like, what's happening is you've got, if you take, if you take like the, the, the whole sort of universe of different types of customer contact queries, you've got the simple ones, the, what I'll call the transactional ones, mm. like delivery, like you know, like an account balance. Yeah, and those continue to become much more normalised within the world of self serve, and people will continue. To, I, I I think in the future people will continue to to be more willing. More people will be continue will, will be willing to self serve those transactional types of queries. Then on the other hand, you've got the more complex types of things like I need my refund or there's a problem with my bill, and actually people have pulled back from self-serving and now more wanting to talk to people, talk to a, a live advisor than they were last year. And that's really interesting because I think mm. that there's a few things in that. I think I think it's reflective of the wider environment. As we just talked about, I think there is a much greater need for reassurance and that's only going to go up. The mm. reassurance of having a live human tell you, yep, you're all good, right? yeah. it's done, it's fine. Yeah. I, th I think that need which we started to talk about and, and observe during the pandemic is really, really, really critical now, right now when the, you know, when getting that money back is, you know, is, 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 is really, really important and is really urgent. Um, I also think that what, what, what we may be seeing is actually consumers are just getting savvy. You know, when, when we're all in lockdown, when we all had all these new channels available to us, we tried them. You know, we were yeah. willing, we, we yeah. were open. We tried them and we're starting to realize what, what self-serve is good for and what it's not good for. So it's great for delivery updates. It's great yeah. for my account balance, but actually maybe I did try to go to a self-serve portal and I typed in my refund and it took, it took the provider ages to get back to me. I never got a decent resolution. So eventually I'd had to pick up the phone. That's mm. the only way I could get a resolution. And I think, I think perhaps mixed early experiences with self-serve channels has pushed people to go back to assisted channels because let's face it self-serve isn't good for everything and i think what consumers are learning and what providers are learning is what channels are good for what and it's really important to match the channel with the query so for those simpler things yeah absolutely deflect all the demand and try to take your assisted demand down to zero you shouldn't have you shouldn't want anybody calling in on the phones to get a delivery update if you get your delivery self-serve delivery update experience right, you should be able to reduce that demand down to zero. Yeah. Other types of queries, though, there will always be a need for assisted because automation can never replace yeah. the uh, what a human can bring, and that's when the content of that query, the nature of that query, is is urgent. It's emotive when there's a lot at stake to the customer, and I think we're starting to learn that. Um, providers, the industry, organizations, but also people, consumers, we are starting to realize, okay, so if it's this kind of thing, I'll use the app or I'll, I'll go online. If it's that kind of thing, I'll pick up the phone. And you're starting to see, aren't you? I, I take a keen interest in anything that's in the media about our industry and the, the some of the language around some of that self-serve uh, chatbots it, it's very similar to when ivrs first started to appear it's kind of the the consumer champions will be saying how to get round the chatbot how to navigate past the chatbot yeah. to speak yeah. to speak to yeah. to speak to a human and i think isn't that isn't that interesting rather than how do we you know what is it they're not looking at what's what the chatbot isn't doing for them. They're going, right, I've just got to get around it. What, why? Yeah. It's, fascina it's fascinating. It's the, what, what other things were there then that um, kind of surprised you? Because that is a surprise to see a decrease in, in, in self-serve. And I think to your earlier point around this being currency, to look for leaders to look at this report and go, we need to be aware of this. Mm. This is, are we are we comfortable with our provision? Are we comfortable that your to your point, the user experience means that someone can self-serve all the way through, no problem, shouldn't have to to contact us. 
because here are some signs that people are maybe starting to go, well, doubt's creeping in again. Yeah, and that's absolutely right. And and the leaders that I talk to uh, overwhelmingly do get it. And I think what we're we, what we've <coughs> we've got to a point, I, I think now with the pandemic experience still very recent in our minds and this experimentation, if you like, um, with different channels, having yielded, I think, useful understanding and data for, for us. Um, we've got to a point where I think we're starting to get a better understanding of the limits of deflection, of the limits, you know, the boundaries that, of automation. Um, certainly, at least with the, uh, with what automation can deliver today. Now, in mm. you know, in the future, automation will do a lot more and be able to deliver a lot more than it would than it can today. But you know, I, I think it is a fact that chatbots today can deliver a certain kind of experience. But chatbots, at least the level of sophistication of chatbots today, can in no way replicate what a human can do. You know, don't even try to use a chatbot to replicate what a human can do. Use a chatbot to deliver essentially an automated experience rather than yeah. a human experience, right? I think yeah. where, where chatbots have failed is is where we've tried to implement a chatbot to try to mimic a human experience. Now that that's consumers see right through that. You know, it's that's rubbish, right? Yeah. It's an authentic, bad experience. If you accept that it's automation, it's just another form form of automation. Then chatbots have a place, but don't try to put a chatbot in place where, where you need a human. So I think what, what we're seeing is the pendulum has swung a little bit back the other way where we're, we're just getting all a little bit more knowledgeable about, about what automation does and what different channels can do and how to align the strengths and weaknesses of different channels with, um, with the type of query. But underpinning all of this is of course the external environment that we're in when, when actually more than ever people do want to talk to humans yeah. because um the the urgency of their queries is is just that much greater than ever ever before and i think the most savvy and the most customer centric organizations realize that they do need to continue to invest in their new channels and in automation and in self-serve but they also need to retain capacity in their assisted lines as well and offer the option to customers um so that's you know and as we talked about at the beginning different people want different things some people want to go straight into the digital experience and other people want to be able to pick up the phone and sometimes you need, you need a bit, bit of both there's sometimes when i am happy to sell servants there are times when i will need to talk to people so what i think what we've moved rightly away from is this idea of just deflection pure mm. deflection yeah and into this environment where actually we understand the right kind of deflection appropriate deflection and for some things, deflection is appropriate. For other things, deflection is not appropriate, especially right now in this environment that we're living in. I really like what you're saying around what is using, so what are you deflecting and why is it helpful to the customer? Chatbot, don't try and replicate a human. Like I, I used a chatbot the other day for uh, a CRM system uh, that we used. Perfect. Because it was, this doesn't seem to be working. And it prompted me with, is, is it this, this, or this? And I went, no, it's, it's option three. Okay, you just need to do this. I did it. Has that worked? Yes. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> you know, perfect. Um, and that kind of the using, being specific and saying, what is the purpose? Yeah. It, it seems like, you know, it's kind of, it's, your research is showing that loud and clear. We, we need to get a bit more targeted and think about, as you said, the, the user experience. Were there any other trends from some of the previous um, reports that kind of stood out, even if it's um, the same? Um, or So this one isn't a trend because it was new in 2022, but I thought I'd, I'd give a shout out to it because it, it is quite interesting. I think it's quite relevant given... The focus on recruitment and retention at the moment mm. it's it's the um hot topic uh it's it, it's how the general public see careers and customer service Ooh, and yes you know it's something gets that, that gets written about a lot in fact there's a program on channel four which might have aired by the time that um this the, the podcast goes live it's on uh it's on i think june uh, thursday the 30th of june it's probably on channel four player or four um 
if you want if you want to catch up but it's all about life it's an hour's documentary on the contact center so that's that'll be one for everybody to watch as is an example the, of how is that the one that's got the word chaos in the title yes. as well yeah yes, which um i thought was interesting that's interesting <laughs> yeah. that, that in itself is interesting it doesn't matter how balanced the documentary is they no. already <laughs> they already are positioning it in a certain way it's called contact center or call center chaos yeah is the title of the documentary already <laughs> yeah. right if you don't work I in wonder... industry if you don't work <laughs> in industry that's going to make you think in a certain way yeah isn't it uh it's called yeah. i think the title the exact words are call center chaos colon britain on hold what does that tell yeah. you what does that tell yeah. you and, and you know the, the reality is if you read you know if you read your favorite newspaper and you read anything about contact centers uh, there's a certain impression that you'll get mm from from the world of customer service and contact centers and it isn't overwhelmingly a positive one um and i think a lot of that is 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 probably just just the remnants of the past you know the remnants of what may, maybe what, what what life in contact centers was, was like in the 1980s um it's you know it's an easy industry to bash if you like um, and th th this is a better representation this for me represents what our industry is about the work you're doing um, with Odigo and CCMA, this, this is our industry that we're customer first, nuanced, detailed. I think those kind of, I, I saw that advertised that program and my heart sank a little bit as it does regularly with some of the articles and programs that you see because it's just, it's so lazy. It's, it's, lazy. It's, it's lazy broadcasting, it's lazy. Lazy, journal, lazy journalism, you know. It's, <clears throat> It's lazy. It's lazy. And the, the thing I always say to people, as a bit of an aside, Martin, but um, a thing I always say to people is, if this is the way that things are portrayed about something you know a lot about, we know a lot mm. about it because we're in the industry mm. and we know better, think about how your perceptions are being influenced when you're being bombarded by things that you don't know anything about. Very so All the stuff that you consume in the media, all of it, has a slant and all mm. of it has an angle but you just don't know it because you don't know anything better so just uh I, it, it's an aside but just just be super super critical whenever you consume anything in, in in you know from the media um but yes it's lazy it's a trope you know it's a trope mm. that refuses mm. to die and you know there's no doubt as, as always there's probably some truth somewhere yeah, but of course survey we, we we wanted to explore a little bit in the um in the research and mm. um we wanted to understand in the minds of the general public what are sort of the good parts of working in customer service and what are maybe some of the not so good parts of working in the customer service so what we found was and this is probably not hugely surprising um and this is one that i think probably is fair if i'm if, if i'm being brutally honest the areas that in the minds of the general public are the least are the least positive if you like you know the areas that, that the, the industry needs to work hardest on improving in the minds of the general public are paying benefits mm -hmm. and career progression wow the career first progression. one the first one is absolutely is is spot on i think it's fair it? there isn't it you can't argue with yeah. that you can't argue yeah. with that um and it's easy for for me to say, oh, people need to pay more. You know, I, I'm not the CFO, and I don't have the, mm. you know, I, I don't have to diff, to make those difficult decisions. But there is, I think, uh, I, I think there's a reality in terms of what your average frontline advisor makes versus the complexity yes. of the role and what we ask them to do, particularly now because all the simpler stuff is going to automation. We're asking our frontline advisors to not only know our products, know our organizations, know where to get help, you know, and know, you know, be incredibly resourceful. We're asking them to switch between all these different screens because we know that's the reality of yeah. fragmented technology is to be a tech expert and to be able to switch between screen A, B, C, D, and E to solve the problem and be incredibly emotionally intelligent yeah. because that's what our customers need today. Are we paying them enough? I don't think so. Uh, but no, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm 100% behind you, but like you, I very rarely have to get involved in those difficult kind of decisions. But in a, in a what it for our industry's sake, it's something that we should be 
discussing, addressing, finding ways of um, dealing with it because without those, without those guys coming in and doing that work, we don't have an industry. And I, I, I don't see anyone doing anything massively different, which worries me because you will often see someone, do you remember the first companies that went, we're doing a four day week and bit by bit, more and more people do it. I've, I, I haven't seen the same like beachhead being made saying, you know what, we're going to pay people, we're going to pay people far more than they could get working in retail or in um, Starbucks or, or wherever, because we do know that we're asking a lot more of them, which is so true, because I, I think we talk about... Um, it used to be the agent of 2020 is going to be doing X, Y, Z, you know, back in 2015, that people liked the 2020 number. Now it's still, but it's still, the narrative's still pretty much the same, which is, oh, there'll be complex problem solvers and there'll be so much variety in their job. That is great, but that isn't something that we could go out and attract people to come and work. Yeah. That can, You're going to be an expert problem solver. Okay, that sounds challenging. Um, how much will you pay me? You know, it's we need to do something we really do i'm surprised at the second one career progression i i think the second one i'll come back to your your earlier comment just to take but i think the second one is uh, i think there's some truth in it um i mean the the, the reality is if you're on the front line um what is well, this typical ratio sort of advisor to manager is about 10 to 12 isn't it you've got one manager role yeah. for every, 12, every 10 to 12 advisor role so yeah where are you going to go there's not that many managers uh, roles available what the good news is that many organizations are, are getting better at creating opportunities elsewhere you know you don't just have to stay in the that's, contact center that's the thing and i think because you're right um it's not just one direction and i think one of the things we have to get better at is by saying you know what when you when you walk through this door if you when you become an agent you have this whole vista of um, roles. If you're, are you interested in helping people training develop? We can, you can go and see the L and D team. You, you like numbers? Go and see finance, workforce management, HR, wherever it may be. Those are the. And I don't think we're we're good at saying by walking in here, you're walking into a careers yeah, fair. That's exactly know. it. It's 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 about positioning it in that way. This is cha changing the perception. As long as, of course, you're actually delivering against this, but many organisations are starting to deliver against it, and recognising that time spent in the contact centre on the front lines is an incredibly good training ground. Mm. You, you learn so much about the organisation. Yes. Um, you become naturally resourceful. You're a natural problem solver. You know how to overcome barriers because you do literally do that every every hour, every single day. Mm. Yeah. Um, you're good with people. You're patient. Um, it just teaches you so much that you can bring into so many other roles. So I do think that that's a perception gap, for sure. Um, but just coming back you to what you said. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I was going to say, and you understand consumers. Yeah, you understand you people. deal with consumers you know, every day. You know, the emotional intelligence bit is uh, oh. both at an interpersonal level, but you actually, you're, you're naturally customer-centric, yeah. you know, better than anybody else in the organisation, what the customer is saying, what the customer wants. To, to the point about pain benefits, I'm starting to hear some anecdotal evidence, and I think this is much about the general sort of recruitment challenge and the, the tight job market as anything else. But if it helps to drive change, then that's all good. Uh, I'm, I'm starting to hear about conversations being had along those lines of we need to do things differently. But right. honestly, I don't see it as a bottom up. You know, it's not going to happen in a contact center. It, it's going to happen. If it happens, it has to happen top down. We mm. have to, I. I, I <clears throat> Sometimes I draw analogies with with customer service and contact customer contact sector with the digital marketing sector. So digital marketing, online advertising, um, for example, is a five hundred billion US dollar business. Um, I'm old enough to re to remember when it didn't exist. You know, so in a generation, <laughs> in a generation, um, it's gone from zero to five hundred billion dollars. And if you look at in every almost every developed country in the world including the UK now digital advertising far outstripped television and traditional media and there's a reason for that is because digital advertising providers of digital advertising are really good 
at telling companies, telling advertisers, this is what you get for your money. And without us, you wouldn't get this. And I think we can learn something from that in our industry. Mm. Um, we take it for granted, you know, we, we, we know intuitively that good customer service delivers business outcomes, but we kind of need to prove it. We need to get better at talking to people who are not naturally customer orientated. We need to get better at talking to people who have to make those difficult financial decisions and they're difficult. Yeah. Do you invest more in your contact center or do you invest more in your product? You know, these are difficult decisions to make mm. because ultimately money going somewhere is money not going somewhere, but somebody somewhere else. So you've got to make really hard nosed arguments supported by data around your ROI. Um, there's a term called attribution, which I some you know, it, that attribution is, is, is a common term in the world of digital marketing. It's a science. If you spend 10 pounds on this with us, you will get these many eyeballs. You'll get this much of awareness. And there is a whole science that has been, has been built around this. And because attribution is so now well accepted in the world of digital marketing, that has powered that industry to, to the growth mm. that they've achieved today. I think we can learn something from that in our mm. world. And it's great to see things like data science now becoming a thing within the world of contact centers. I don't mean contact centers working with data science teams. I mean data science teams sitting in contact centers. Yes. I'm data people sitting in contact centers and starting to take seriously this idea of let's prove the value that we bring. Let's prove the value of a customer contact. Let's shift the conversation away from cost to serve, which is mm. kind of where it sits right, cost. Let's shift the, way, the conversation away from cost to value. Let's prove the value that we're delivering. If we can do that, then we start to make the case for more investment and better salaries. So for me, it has to, that's the heart of it, you know, and it's a big thing. It's going to take time to do, but if we all start to get onto that bandwagon, if we all start I to think it. more about not cost, but value and convincing the people in our organizations about value and proving it through, through science, um, that's the route to, you know, to paying people what, what they deserve. I just want to quickly also mention the one thing, if you like, that is seen really positively. So yes. the thing, the things, about you know, custom, working customer service, yeah, paying benefits not not as good as some other things. Career progression not as good. The thing that that was really interesting actually about um, about this survey and what the survey told us is that actually there is really really strong positive sentiment around customer service and the, and, and and the business of customer service does an important job for the community. Oh, that's lovely. It does an important job for the community which is another argument to pay more, mm. pay more. And I think that's really, it is lovely. It, it's yeah. validation of the role that customer service plays and contact centers play. It's a validation of, it's not, it's not an optional function. Mm. I think I, 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 it's the first time we've done this year, so I don't have comparative data, but my guess is it had that perception that, that, what we do in contact centers is important to the communities in which you operate. My, my hunch is that that's gone up. And my mm. hunch is when we do this again next year, um, with CCMA and, and supported by Odigo, it's going to go up again because customer service has never been more important. hundred percent agree. And of course we're biased because we work in the industry, but, <laughs> yeah. but, but, but think about all those situations as a, you know, as we talked a bit about on just in, in the last hour, the need for reassurance, mm. the need to know that your transaction has been successfully completed. Um, it's really critical, I think, for us to, to, um, to know and, uh, and be comforted that the general public knows how important it is the job that we are doing for mm. the public. During the pandemic, mm. it became really apparent. We, we, you know, we were the front lines. We we're holding the fourth, if you like. When other yeah. departments were closing down, our lines were still open. Mm. And I think that has only continues in, in the current environment that we are today when people need help. Yeah. More people need more help than ever before than, mm. you know, in today's environment. And that's the job that we do. We help people. Mm. I love that. And um, both to, to you, Stephen, your team, the CCMA and Odigo, thanks very much for, for doing this research because... As you say, I think 
it's things like this that not only are they currency, they help people make more informed decisions, but they they show our industry in the light it should be shown, a professional, that we're that we're data driven, that we're progressive. And like you say, at a time when people consumers need need to help tough times we've stood up for the last two years we'll carry on standing up and um i think it's great now where where can you've said it before but where can people get hold of this research uh go to ccma.org.uk there's a research tab if you go up to the top of the screen uh and it's a free download from there Brilliant. It's a full report, lots and lots of data, um, as well as commentary from our uh, the industry leaders that we talk to to help interpret the data, uh, as well as comparisons versus you know, some of which I've, I've, I've briefly mentioned during this uh, discussion. Uh, comparisons over you know versus previous waves, so it's all in there. Um, and if you do go there, I hope, I hope you find it useful and get in touch with, feel free to get in touch with me if you've got any questions. If you, if you do download it, read it and would like to ask anything, I'm, uh, my, my, my email, my DMs are open. That is, that's great. And um, we, I feel, feel like we've only scratched the surface, but uh, it's been fascinating. So Stephen, thank you so much for, for coming on. The pleasure's all mine, Martin. Thanks again for having me. And we'll see you soon. We'll be chatting some more soon. Definitely. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye.